Welcome to the Gila Monsters Podcast. This is episode two, and tonight's special guest is a Baofeng BF F8 HP. Oh, good. Ow. So we could talk tactical, tactical, anything about radiation, want to know the theory, the spectrum, everything else. Or you could just listen to that one more time on repeat for forever. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> uh, just for uh, for argument's sake, that was the BF F8 HP, which, uh, as we've been told on Reddit, is apparently the better version of these things, which is like saying that a solid turd is better than uh, a liquid turd. Um, you technically know, not wrong. Technically not wrong. But, Shiniest uh, one of them all. God. And that was even with the keypad lock engage, which we'll get into in a bit. But it has an FM tuner too, right? Nope, don't don't play it for me. I, be I believed you the first time. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we flew the we made a visual guide, which by now has been up for a while. We're gonna start getting more into a buyer's guide, like actually how to start getting starting with Kenwood TKs working all the way up to what we call the cool guy radios. And we flew that same visual guide up on Red Instagram. Got plenty of love. Uh, some of the bigger accounts flew it and went decently far. And some of you guys have already been hitting me up, hitting us up, saying, uh, "Yeah, we bought EFGs. What do we go about it?" So good yep. on you guys. Reddit was a different story. <laughs> so, like, I'll 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 grant that that, that visual guide is. Uh sort of a, a v1 and we were just kind of doing that like over the phone so there's some like if you don't see your favorite radio on there that doesn't mean that we think it's crap like motorola xts's should have been on there that's just it didn't get on there but those are great radios too but, but the meme was a hand grenade holy <laughs> hell was it like that was yeah. a visual hand grenade and a half Went, went good on instagram like i said but good grief now i know why everybody here says reddit is toxic <laughs> and so we got into decent arguments with the Fang Gang, wanting to know why we hate on them. And like I said, we could go into the into all the nitty gritty fundamentals of radio, or we could just discuss the fact that there is a big orange button on the side of those things, and if you and if you bump it wrong, <laughs> that is what everybody around you is going to hear. And again, this is an audio medium, so you're not going to see it. But it's also got a white flashing light on the top of it. Nice knowing you. You're dead. You know, it would be nice if uh, Deuce Bigelow here was joking, but unfortunately he's not. Uh, I can say from personal experience that he might say, oh, that, that orange button isn't going to get hit in the field. Well, I know a guy. Uh, we were doing an FTX in southern Missouri, and... Suddenly, his Baofeng started playing country music. It turns out the call button had gotten pressed momentarily, so it's a momentary press for the FM tuner and press and hold it for a second or two to get the awful whatever that noise is. And we couldn't figure out why his radio was suddenly tuned to a local country station and blasting it in the middle of our patrol. Oops. It'll happen. <laughs> Oops. So we didn't even really get a chance to get into the intros. We have Anarcho Bacon, who finally made a page on Instagram. And then myself, the ghost of Deuce Bigelow. And what are we calling you these days? Right now I'm using Grendel. I'm trying not to... Uh... 
put all my names under one hat if I can get away with it. But she's here. She may not get into the radio geekery, but she's with the crew. And we would have we had an episode recorded with Sun Blonde for Liberty and Mongo. But Zoom is a smarter than we are, apparently. Well, particularly smarter than I am. And the audio's fucked on it, so this episode three is now episode two. We'll get back to you. We were going to do a, a filler episode, like getting into current events, politics, anarchical philosophy. Now we're going right into part two with more content, more content with the how-to at the radio. And it's denser than a nickel metal hydrate battery on an EF Johnson 5100 ES. Well, and those was, are dense. That was cornier than ethanol, and I like it. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, stole this from one of the Listeners who read this or listened to this, that was dumb. That may have to get edited, but it's not going to get edited. Yeah, we may not be ham, but here's bacon. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and you thought that joke was bad. Hey, credit where credit's due. She'll know who she was. <laughs> so, yeah, getting into more of the, the first episode was kind of like, here's the... Here's the bread and butter stuff, how to get it set up. We're going to be talking more about some of the advanced stuff you can do, the cool guy shit. And um, the hands may know more, a lot more about this than your average listener, but, you know, if you just bought a radio, get into explaining, like, uh, repeater setups. Okay. Uh, so in a repeater is think of it as sort of like a, a cell tower for, for radio. So something I, I don't recall if I touched on this on episode one, but VHF and UHF, which are the, the two bands that you're most often going to see uh, a portable or an HT operating on, they're line of sight based, which you'd say a lot corollary of that is that if you can get something really high up, it's going to have line of sight to a much wider area and improve the effective coverage area of the radio. Well, that's that's exactly right, and that's what a repeater does. It simultaneously receives and retransmits a portable's transmissions, and it actually retransmits them on a different frequency that's offset by uh, a certain amount, which is dependent on the band service, etc. So that repeater will extend the range of your portable. Now, in open terrain, I haven't really pushed portables too hard, but you can get usually several miles in open desert out here without any any real signal degradation, whether that's analog or digital, you'll have good performance. With the repeater, I have talked, uh, it was 80, 89 miles, I believe is my personal record, and that was with a Kenwood TK390 with a KRA23 little three and a quarter inch stubby antenna into a repeater, full quieting, excellent signal reports. That repeater is also located on top of uh, a mountain that is, I believe it's about 5,000 feet of prominence around the surrounding terrain. Uh, I was at about seven or 8,000 feet. The, repeat, the repeater was at about 10 or 11,000. I was at higher altitude, but that should give you an idea of the kind of, of performance that you can potentially, and that depends on your your area, your topography, your vegetation, etc., but that you can potentially get out of a portable working with a repeater. Now, you can also operate, I was touching on this earlier, simplex, which is direct radio to radio. So these radios do not require 
a repeater to be functional. They do require a, a repeater to be at their best performance wise, but it's not required. So what is a repeater? Uh, in essence, it is a radio device. It can be a single, a single unit. It can be a couple of commercial mobile radios tied together. That's, that's actually fairly popular in ham circles, uh, but it will receive on one frequency and simultaneously retransmit on the other. So I'm just going to use uh, GMRS or General Mobile Radio Service as a, ref as a baseline here. So let's say I wanna talk on what we would call like a 700 repeater. My portable is going to transmit on 467.700 megahertz and receive on 462.700 megahertz. There's a five megahertz difference in that, which is what's gonna be referred to as a split. Now, five megahertz is very standard for UHF. And there's a, another component to that. So uh, something I've touched on is desense. When you have a, a radio receiver right next to a high-powered transmitter. Well, you can get around that with what are called duplexers, which are just big old cavity filters. They affectionately get called cans, and they, they do kind of look like, uh, you know, depending on the, the band, they're, they look like and can be about the same size as, say, uh, a six-pack of beer. Just uh, a set of aluminum cylinders, and again, they're, they're filters. They keep that desense from occurring, and they, they make that repeater site actually work properly. And desense is when it's near another source of radio emissions and gets its brain scrambled. Yes, yes. You have to have some serious filtering on a receiver to keep that from happening with a, a high-powered transmitter or often any transmitter in close proximity to it. It's like soundproofing for radios or preventing, you're putting that up to prevent the desense from happening. Basically, yes. Okay. That's not a, not a bad analogy. And that was something I wanted to hit you to hit on was the difference between simplex and duplex, or if there is a difference or what? Yes. Yes, there, there is a, a difference. So again, simplex is direct radio to radio. Then uh, half duplex is what a normal or conventional repeater is operating on and then full duplex, which is uh, simultaneous transmission and re and receiving on uh, on both ends is what you'll get with, a, say, a satellite where it's a, a VHF uplink and a UHF downlink or, or vice versa or a cell phone. A cell phone is full duplex. You can uh, you can be yelling at your friend or worst enemy at the same time that they're yelling at you and you'll both be able to hear each other without getting any of the awful heterodyning or, or other noise that you get if you talk over each other on FM. You never hear squelch on a cell phone. No, now you probably should. I, I'm sure they'd sound a lot better if they were analog in a lot of cases, but that's a, that's another argument. So if you're looking at a ranch radio or prepper radio or mutual defense, how's that useful? Like how would your uh, average Joe just got into radios be looking at setting up a repeater system? Of course, you get into the legalities and what kind of license you have, but where would you start? You know, start at GMRS and then work up to... I just started at GMRS because it covers uh, it covers your family unit. Now, if, uh, if everybody's technically savvy, you might want to go for ham 
or if it's a commercial enterprise and you're willing to put uh, a little bit more money into it or a commercial enterprise, philanthropic, educational, like there's a whole lot of qual different qualifications there and you're willing to throw a few hundred bucks on the licensing side of it and just get yourself a part 90 license, coordinate a frequency pair and have your own private frequency repeater, uh, run P25 and AES crypto on it or something like that. But that's uh, that's sort of the, the end game, if you will. Now, the, the real simple stuff would be like a simplex repeater using uh, what's it, like a, an Argent Data Systems SR1, I believe it's called. Uh, there's, they are probably the best simplex repeater controller on the market. All that is, it's just a parrot. So it'll... Uh, it's not simultaneous, which kind of plays into the simplex repeater. It'll receive, and then uh, after that, that transmission has been completed, it will then retransmit that transmission after a, after a time delay on whatever frequency the, the repeater radio is programmed for. Now, that's they can be kind of annoying, and there's some ways you can set them up to be less annoying, like a split frequency or a split tone, so that not everybody is hearing the thing going off twice but they will still serve the same general purpose as a, a nice full duplex repeater now a nice full duplex repeater on gmrs there's a few ways you can go about that you can get uh something like maybe a kenwood tkr850 which is a very nice part 90 uh integrated repeater or you could take some mobile radios and some duplexers and a repeater controller smash it together and build your own you'll be limited in duty cycle by that but it'll get the job done now i've seen the uh i've seen your setup with the two radios just uh bull game together how what does it take to do that besides of course getting the radios and then like get into the kind of the nuts and bolts of stringing them together uh, so that's called a crossband repeater uh, in a crossband repeater, uh, the split that I mentioned earlier, rather than being five megahertz or whatever, it can be. Uh, well, one I've done is about four hundred twenty megahertz. I've run crossband commercial between uh, uh, about a forty megahertz low band frequency and a four hundred sixty megahertz UHF frequency. So, in in that case, your your frequency split is so large that no filtering is required in a practical sense so you'll just need uh the interface cables and a repeater controller to link the two radios now and the, the repeater controller is that like the programming software but for the repeater or is that an actual piece of hardware it's a piece of hardware that usually doesn't run more than 60 bucks or so i've just got a a little surecom unit it's not a super high-end unit but it it works well enough now the the weakness or the downside of that is that it's going to act more like a translator box unless you have dual band radios so you're it since it transmits on one band and receives on another uh, say that uhf to low band cross band setup Having two UHF portables, it's not really going to get you anything, but having a UHF portable and maybe a, like a high power low band mobile on the other end, it'll get you somewhere. So it's it's got its its ups and downs or its its strengths and weaknesses as well. And once you once your ranch radio gets uh, a repeater strung together, where do you put it? Like I mean, the 
kind of the obvious answer up front is you said heights might. Yes, height so. might. <laughs> Just wherever you can place it to have the maximum line of sight to the area that you'd like to be talking into. Now, you can also use that to cross over mountain ranges, right? Like if you put a repeater at the top of the mountain, you can talk to either side of that mountain, right? Yes. Actually, that contact I was mentioning where I did 89 miles into a mountaintop repeater, I was talking to a guy about 50 miles on the other side of that mountaintop repeater on, a, on the other side of the mountain range from my position. Height is my... You know, that could be a t-shirt design. Don't steal that. <laughs> yeah, and have a, have a big old radio tower on it. I like that. Merch link in the bio. I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so getting to some of the other cool guy shit you can do with radio. I mean, everybody seems to want to know about crypto. But legal disclaimer first. You know, I get to do this in my best ad copy voice. Yes, it is absolutely illegal to transmit in crypto or encrypted transmissions on the ham or it, it's also illegal on gmrs and um mers right gmrs yes mers that's licensed by rule i think you're actually okay to do it on mers don't that's quote weird. don't quote yeah we MERS are not is, lawyers do not take our advice with that mers is, we don't even play lawyers on tv mers <laughs> is really freaking weird i don't actually have any any mers equipment because that's I mean, I that's vhf that too right? yeah it's a two watt vhf low power licensed by rural service. MERS is too what? That's a cigarette lighter. It's like Ugh. farmers use it for uh like telemetry for pumps. It, it's like <laughs> weird service, but uh but but we, getting, we digress. getting the train back on the tracks. Uh if you want to do encryption legally and we are absolutely not telling you that you can run your eighty percent radios like Mongo mentioned in the last episode. <laughs> legally you have to have a commercial or Call it business band license, right? Yes. I mean, there's a couple narrow exceptions where you can do it legally on on uh, amateur allocations, but those are either not something that you like. You do not own an AMSAT. I'm, I'm just going to make that assumption that you do not own an AMSAT. Exceptions don't apply to yes. us. Yeah, there, there's a few weird exceptions out there, but for, for the most part... Just However, technical correctness. if philanthropic and educational reasons count with the FCC for getting yes. a commercial license. Yes. So if you and your mutual defense buddies wanted to get together and form a cooperative to promote radio education or comms education, that would be... I think that would be a very... Like I'd stand up and argue to the feds about that. I think that would be, that'd be a very viable justification. Another one that, uh, that I've considered... Uh, for some friends of mine who would like to get a Part 90 license, one of them has a firearms training business, and I suggested to him that he would qualify for a Part 90 itinerant license under uh, under that umbrella. You know, engaging in uh, or applicant is engaged in in business of firearms training and travels across uh, across the state to different range complexes for training. Like that's a that's a cut and dried use case right there. So, with all paperwork that you know, we run into this a lot with the mining side of things. Never lie, but you sometimes have to be creative. Yeah, you can justify darn near anything in bureaucratic paperwork if you are good with words. Because they also, at the end of the day, want to take your money. Yes. <laughs> now, 
again, we we would never ever possibly say <laughs> run illegally. But like we said on the last episode, if if this were to happen in hype in the hypothetical and educational sense, somebody doing that should do their homework and make sure they're not you know causing harm. The the non aggression principle applies to radios too. Please don't knock out your local ambulance services dispatch frequency. So, with with the legal disclaimers out of the way, let's get into encryption. Oh, that's that's a fun topic. So, lead us off on that. What, what what's the difference between like uh, I've heard AES thrown around, DES, which I thought that was you know where you get your food stamps from, but that's like <laughs> beside the point. Uh, yeah, so the, the three main types of consumer-grade encryption out there, and this is sort of in order of from uh, least secure to most secure, are ADP, which is also called uh, RC4, then DES, or Data Encryption Standard, then AES, or Advanced Encryption Standard. Now, a ADP, uh, which is... Motorola Advanced Digital Privacy on their uh, their Moto Turbo business equipment, and they they did offer it on uh, on P25 as well. And I think they've kind of EOL'd that product because you know it just wasn't very good. It's like a 40-bit encryption, and it can be loaded onto the subscriber unit through the CPS. Uh, in English, you can you can stick the the cryptologic variable or the key into the radio through the computer-based, PC-based programming software. It doesn't rely on an external key loader. And yeah, I said it's 40-bit, so that's just security against a scanner head. Anybody who really wants to and has some computing hardware, they can crack that in not necessarily real time, but it won't take very long with off-the-shelf hardware and somebody who knows what they're doing. Now, uh, DES was, it dates back to the 70s, and it was a good algorithm, but uh, it is susceptible to brute force attacks, you know, on a, a day, like a one to two day scale time frame at this point. Less if you're a state actor and, and or have some really good computing hardware. So it was replaced by AES in, was it 2002? I'm nodding my head. <laughs> uh, AES is uh, a type 1 algorithm. It's approved by the NSA for transmission of top-secret data. That stands for Advanced Encryption Standard, right? Yes, yes, okay. Advanced Encryption Standard. It's, uh, for all intents and purposes, it is not crackable via, via brute force methods. So what that means is that you can't have a computer just start plugging and chugging and trying to generate keys. It would take like a million years to crack it to brute force an AES key or something. And like that, that million years isn't hyperbole, right? Like it's I, I think that's actually a yeah, that's not really hyperbole. Like I think it might actually take force, a million years. It's like the computer's trying to punch in your your keypad code to your lock a million times well yeah and this a million is, times X until it punches in the code. And this isn't a ten thousand code lock. Like this is a uh, a little bit more than that. Add a lot of zeros, right? Oh, a lot of zeros. <laughs> it's uh, a 256-bit key, which is uh, quite secure. So when I was, I don't know if I touched, how well I touched on this, that's only one of the ways that 
you can have a, you can have an encrypted system be compromised. If you were to have a subscriber unit, which if you hear me say that, that means a radio that is operating on that system. If you're to have a subscriber unit be physically compromised, i.e. lost or stolen, you should be rekeying. You should rekey all of your other subscribers because all of that million years of brute forcing goes out the window if somebody has physical access and can listen to your transmissions because they have the key on that radio. They, for as far as I know, they will not be able to extract the key or the cryptologic variable from that radio. They'll still be able to listen to you with that radio. So regular rekeying is essential, especially if you're to have a radio become compromised. If you have a radio become compromised, you should be rekeying ASAP. So encryption is just a part of ComSec or communication security? Yes, yes. Encryption will not protect you from bad ComSec. It will not protect you from direction finding. There is still useful metadata as far as location, frequency being used, depending on the, on the waveform you're using. There might be other metadata sent over in the clear, which is one of the downsides of P25, and there's obfuscation, there's ways around that. But where you show up in the band provides a lot of information and like I can if I see an encrypted signal show up I can pretty well guess at what it is based on where I am where it is in the band and if there's anything show up related to that on the FCC's ULS database and you don't need a whole lot of gear to get into that right I that's mean, a $35 RTL SDR kit with a dipole antenna that sticks onto the back glass of my pickup and SDR is software defined radio right yes and that, so that just shows up on your laptop screen with the, I don't know what the actual audio file term is. The, but yeah, the waterfall. The waterfall, there we go. Yeah, and it lets you should see, uh, visual, visualize several megahertz of spectrum at once, uh, as opposed to a scanner where you'll only be hearing one frequency at any given time. You can see a dozen or more, probably 40 different frequencies all at once. You can see activity on them. You can discern whether it's analog, it's digital. Uh, you can see if it looks like telemetry, voice, a whole bunch of different things. And this is very, I mean, it ties onto the laptop and can ride around in a truck with no problem, right? Yes, and I've done that. Yeah, the the RTL SDR itself is a USB dongle. Mine is sitting right next to you over there, Bigelow, and it's... So this gives... Your average, like your average rancher, could have his own signet if he wanted to. If he wanted to, absolutely. And there's a variety of different plugins. Like I personally use SDR Sharp, which is a SDR mm. and then a, a pound sign. I use that. There's a variety of different plugins. Like there's a, a P25 decode plugin. There's a, a DMR P decode plugin. A digital signal decoder. CTCSS tone scanner. Uh, frequency scan there's a whole bunch of plugins like it's limited only by your imagination pretty much and if you're a, a software geek i'm sure you could figure out uh, what all you need to do to write your own plugins for it and so you can tie or pick a specific frequency with the sdr and listen to that right yes don't worry i'll cut the dead air or maybe i won't
I may, I may cut this and beat this, but do you want to talk about the Second Amendment rally, how you were able to pick up on the Fed boys? Yeah, that's uh, actually a pretty good pretty good demonstration of the application of those STRs, which, by the way, were designed to receive over-the-air digital TV back during the, uh, the DTV transition. I don't know how many of y'all will uh, remember that. Might be showing that I spent a lot of time with uh, my rural grandparents there growing up. But we were when we were at that uh, Arizona Second Amendment rally, we were running uh, an SDR as a, a SIGINT device to listen in on whatever communications might be occurring there. Now, we identified uh, normal chatter on the ASWINS statewide system, the DPS, and uh, like some local departments use. We also, about, what was that, two hours in, hour or so in, yeah. we uh, found encrypted P25 transmissions on a frequency in the uh, federal government allocation. And that, that made my ears prick up very quickly because that was well outside of the commercial uh, the commercial VHF or uh, land mobile radio man split. It wasn't Marine. It wasn't Ham. It wasn't any of that. I looked around. The only licenses that were given out to that, because the, the federal government doesn't use FCC licenses, they operate under uh, NTIA, which is like the uh, National Telecom, uh, Telecom Information Administration, something like that. Uh, long story short, they're not under the FCC. There were only a handful, and they were all uh, just demo radio dealers. And this didn't seem like demo traffic with uh, like a cup, just a, a couple minutes to to show function on something. It was sustained chatter. Uh, it was federal traffic, and the fact that it was encrypted gave some hint as to its nature, as well as where it was in the band. So I was talking about metadata. Where even if you're running crypto, where you transmit, how often you transmit and how you transmit does provide information. But that- Metadata is still data. Yes, it is. And that gave us the heads up that there was some interest in uh, in that rally. There was at least one fed boy at the rally with somebody to talk to. Yes, yes. And you couldn't hear the actual transmission. It was just that Cylon speak of the AES. Exactly. That's exactly what it sounded like. But it still provided us, I, still provided us with useful intelligence. And tying back, you know, the feds back to AES, there were some geeks on Reddit who were saying that you can crack AES. The NSA says that AES is per permitted to transmit top secret info. And the source on that is go look on their own damn website. If AES had a practical crack for it, it would be actively employed by the Chinese government to crack U.S. military transmissions. Anybody who's listening to this, if you can provide a recovered, if you can provide me a sample of recovered AES audio, AES encrypted audio, I will be exceptionally impressed and the NSA will probably want to give you a job. <laughs> You're the king of the geeks. Yeah, like that. If you can do that, I am not shitting you. Call up the NSA. They will want to talk to you. <laughs> and not just throw you in a black site prison cell. <laughs> no, like that. That's that'll probably actually give you a job. 
Uh, no, we're, and we're not. Be a job you can refuse. Yeah, but... yeah. The the refusal letter is that black site prison style. <laughs> we're we're not talking uh, whatever analog scrambling uh, schemes are out there. Like those are are fairly easy to crack if you really want to. And I've seen successful recovery of analog scrambled audio. And that's just having a computer that knows how to do trig and can solve the yes, yes. black mad. Yeah. Theory's not my thing. I'm just the ape who goes, oh, these are kind of cool. And that, that works. That but, works. But we've established why your your average rancher, prepper, mutual defense, we're not going to say words like <clears throat> boogaloo, <clears throat> would want to be interested in encryption. And, uh, well, we even got into some of the signet stuff. But what's the nuts and bolts on what you need to get set up with uh, running encryption? And... The reason that we talk about these EFJs is because they basically got stolen by a Dallas, not actually stolen, but picked up for a song by a Dallas recycler. And they're new in the box, and we're pretty sure they went from the factory warehouse to the recycler to being hawked on eBay. I'm getting these things in boxes that say EF Johnson. I had a giant box today show up on my doorstep that said EF Johnson Technologies, and it was full of radios and chargers in EF Johnson boxes that did not appear to have been used. Yeah, there's no. they look like fresh off the shelf. So the reason that we hawk these is that because they are the best value radio that can do encryption at the time. This could, cha this could change, the surplus could dry up, or you could just not like EF Johnson, like some of those other assholes on Reddit. We're not going to, yeah. And <laughs> hey, if you if you want to go for a Motorola XTS and get a get an AES crypto module in it, go for it. Those are great radios. If you want to use Harris, if you've somehow sold your firstborn and gotten a, a copy of a legit copy of RPM, and you want to use Harris, go for it. Thales, Rakal, all of that, go for it. There's there is nothing wrong with any of those, and if that if that system works for you, really works for you, then use it. These are just what work well for us. But getting the, the fine print out of the way, so you've got your radio, you need a KFD tool, and we talked about that last episode. Yes, so the P25 radios, there's a, a standardized interface or a, a form in which they have to accept keys. Now, unfortunately, there's that standard is not compatible with USB or an RS-232 serial port, so it has to go through uh, a sort of a, a translator, if you will. Now, what I use as a translator is called a, a KFD tool. It's a little box about about half the size of a deck of cards that translates from yeah, USB. Yeah, it looks like an old DC or inverter or yeah. capacitor. Yeah, it really does. Look, be a capacitor. <laughs> it looks like a miniature power inverter. I, I'm sure there's some kind of uh, techno black magic in that. You can uh, ask Daniel Duggar about that. I'm sure he's the creator of the thing, and I'm sure uh, if you wanted to, to ask him about how the thing works, he'd be all over explaining it to you. Um, that's a little bit above my level of geekery and getting into straight electrical engineer, uh, electrical engineering territory, but Long story short, what the KFD tool does is it eliminates the requirement for a KVL or a key variable loader, which is a Motorola gizmo that depending on what what algorithms it has, so the KFD tool will do DES and AES, 
the KVL for Motorola, all of the algorithms cost extra on it, so they won't always have AES. And AES, as we were getting into, is the, the only form of crypto that's really going to be long-term secure outside of the other NSA Type 1 stuff, like, oh gosh, what is it even called anymore? Like Fascinator or Mayfly or whatever high-speed stuff the military uses that we don't use. That's DES that's somewhat crackable. Yeah, DES AES is not. Yeah, uh, DES is uh, not really secure long-term. Like, during... Uh, it'll stop an amateur. Yeah, it'll stop an amateur. I wouldn't count on count on it stopping a state level actor. Uh, some radio or some radio and encryption combinations like uh, Moto Turbo and uh, ADP or Advanced Digital Privacy, they can have the key loaded in through the the programming software, which can introduce a vulnerability there to the physical key being recovered if the computer with the programming software on it was compromised. Now, Which, something that the KFD tool does to does to protect the end user from that is it requires, it uses AES encryption on the key container that contains the traffic encryption keys or the, the key cryptologic variables themselves. So not only is the lock secure, but the keys locked up tight inside that KFD tool too. Uh, inside of the whatever computer is serving as the interface for the KFD tool, but yes. And the other big thing going, the, the keys never transmitted, right? Right. You don't, so it only transmits a key ID, uh, which is like... And that's like the library card that it knows to look up and pull this key to decrypt the transmission. Am I getting that kind of right? Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. It, uh, it just tells the radio like what key or what, what the key alias that it should be using is, like uh, like key ID 1. And that, that key ID is actually going to be like 45ADEC92 ad infinitum. But it's not actually transmitting that over the air. So aside from the radio, the, the programming cable that you, you're going to end up needing, the software... The other equipment you need to run AES is the key loader, which we were just talking about, and then anything else? Uh, just the adapters required to translate between uh, the KFD tool and the radio. Like I use a Motorola HiRose adapter, and I had I uh, jumped two pins in that HiRose connector with uh, just solder, soldered across them, or jumped them, bridged them, however you want to call it and then a male-to-male a -male high rose cable to connect between the KFD tool and that adapter. And that's it. So it's fair to say, like we said on the first episode, that if you can buy a 3D printer, put it together, level the bed, print the calibration cubes, and then start printing gun parts, assemble a bolt and weld it together, and then put Humpty Dumpty together, there's no reason you can't program your own radios and set yourself up to run AES encryption. Absolutely. I, t I like to uh, sort of rely on, I, how exactly would I, would I put it, sort of uh, like a, a group radio technician model where inside of uh, like an, an affinity group of four to 20 people, you have... Ideally, one radio geek and then uh, one understudy who can 
still perform a lot of those functions. And they'll essentially, uh, upon being handed hardware that's owned by other members of that group, they can program that hardware, they can keyload it, and they can manage it as part of an effective system. So you'll basically have, uh, have one or two uh, communications managers inside of a group. They're the, the real geeks. Not everybody needs to know this stuff. You might just need to know, okay, go to, to char, uh, channel Charlie, uh, say like Charlie three, turn encryption on. Your radio has been loaded with a key fill at the beginning of the day that we're going to be using for, uh, for the whole weekend and practice good communications procedures, use your pro words, etc. There you go. You don't have to worry about any of the back-end stuff. And the back-end stuff can be complicated, and I understand if that's something that you don't think that you have the, the time to dedicate to learning it. Just have somebody in your group who can, who can do that for you, and ideally who's willing to teach you if you want to learn over time. Make friends and be nice to the nerds. Yes. You know, we were talking about that. I figured out why Reddit has so much hate for radios. Because to value comms, you need to have somebody to talk to. <laughs> you can wear cry pants in your basement. Mystery solved. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> yeah, we, we're not... There was a ridiculous amount of hatred and vitriol that came off of Reddit over that post. Oh, my gosh. But... <laughs> So next time, what do you think about getting into, if we, you know, we'll start branching out, getting into guests, kind of get into, you know, philosophy, prepping, current events, all the other stuff we've been talking about. But if we do another radio episode, or when we do another radio episode, maybe start getting into application-wise. Okay. Um, all the cool stuff you could do with the a small Application and employment. I like yeah. that a lot. Um, getting into, you know, why if you have comms, you're going to absolutely stomp on anything and everything that doesn't have comms. Right. Provided that you are intelligent in their employment. Because remember, crypto does not substitute for comsec. It merely enhances it. And the, the parting thought with this is that the only real prep and the only real defense is community you can have all the stuff and all the skills and by yourself you're only one person the only time the only way you're going to get anywhere as you know 2020 becomes 2021 becomes 2020 part three is having a group of friends that you can do stuff with and having comms is a big part of building that community absolutely and for all the guys who ask me well what's What's wrong with the with the Baofeng functionally? Oh, here we go again. There you have it. That is episode two, which would be episode three of the Healing Monsters podcast. Thanks for listening. Y'all take care.